if you've been here the last few weeks, we've talked about how this is the beginning of our summer schedule, and that means that um, things are going to be a little different. We'll have more kids here in the service. Um, there are there are there is um, child care, there is nursery um, for kids ages zero to five, um, if you would like. But there's also going to be a lot more children in the service with us. And so, um, just two notes about that. One, I'm going to be preaching shorter sermons. We're going to be preaching shorter sermons this uh, summer, just to sort of have mercy on the children and, you know, who knows, maybe have mercy on you guys too. <laughs> and then also, um, there's a there's a room back there um, that's just a, a place, it's a quiet place, there's, uh, you know, some things to color, different things to do in this room over here, so um, if at any point uh, your kids need to get up and just get their wiggles out or whatever, you can bring them over there. Sound good? Now, I wanted to start this morning by asking you guys a question. What comes to your mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind when you think about God? So not just um, what you would say you believe, but like maybe these unconscious images you have of God. So maybe when you just hear the word God, what does that bring up for you? What does that elicit for you in your mind? In 1953, the English Bible scholar J.B. Phillips wrote a small but insightful book called your God is too small. And um, in, in this book, Philip challenges his readers to move past our childish or neurotic notions about God, which are unworthy of our lives and worship. So the whole first half of this book, as I said, it's a short book, really, really worth reading. The whole first, first half is dedicated to dismantling our false images about God. So... Um, you know, these are, these are things that we often believe about God unconsciously, without really knowing that we have these beliefs. For example, some people think about God as nothing more than a moral policeman. So equating the almighty creator with just their own overactive conscience. Or, or for example, somebody, um, somebody else might um, view God, he, he said you could just view God as like just sort of a parental hangover from childhood. So if our parents were harsh and exacting, or if they were cold and distant, we project that onto God, but like a hundredfold, right? Um, others see God as just a grand old man, bearded in the sky, while others have certified God as being meek and mild, a soft and sentimental Christ who is pale and pasty, who would never confront hypocrisy, never judge the world, and who walks around carrying a baby lamb on his shoulders. <laughs> Phillips writes, some of, a, some of the gods that we have considered are nothing more than artificial. He says, some of them are inadequate pinhole glimpses of the true light. Right, so these are the kind of the, the images that unconsciously come to our mind. They're small, they're two-dimensional, they're unworthy of our lives in worship. But how can these false images of God be corrected? How can we learn to pray to God, not as I know you, but as you know yourself to be? Not as I know you, but as you know yourself to be. What's God's plan for bringing clarity about who He is, about what His nature is? Please turn with me to our reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's on page 965 from your pew Bible. 
965. And I want to key in on verse 6 from the lectionary reading today. It says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's break that down a little bit. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Now, when did God say that? You guys remember? When did God say that? Genesis. Right, He said that at creation. That's like the first thing that God says. So when God brought something out of nothing, he said, let there be light. Well, Paul says there's a similar thing going on every time somebody puts their trust in Christ. It's not creation, it's new creation. And the same kind of power is proceeding from God, that same kind of creative power. And he says our creator has shown this light in our hearts. This is very personal, it's in our hearts God has revealed His glory. Has He revealed it to your heart? Has He revealed it to your heart? Because we would know that He has if He has, right? If He's revealed it that personally to our hearts. But it's more than just a feeling. It says that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. So it's it's more than just feeling, right? It's knowledge. It's something that's true. There's facts involved. I had a friend who grew up in church. He said his family loved Jesus. He would even um, share Jesus with people who didn't know him. He would do evangelism. And he said uh, one time in his late teens, uh, he went on this trip to Israel. And as he you know, went about and he saw the place where Jesus was born, and he saw the Sea of Galilee, and he saw um, the remains of, of this temple that existed thousands of years ago, he thought, man... This stuff, like, might be true. He he said he spent his whole life, like, growing up in his family and praying around his dinner table and being like, hey, this is just sort of our family way and we do this. And I share Jesus with people. But he said he was struck. He just thought to himself, like, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Maybe Maybe there's actual facts involved here. Like, maybe there's knowledge here. Maybe there's truth here. It wasn't just a good old family tradition. It wasn't just some kind of spirituality that existed only in his heart. The truth about God was rooted in facts. Facts about history. But how do we access this knowledge? If our hearts are kind of groping about in the darkness, how does the light click on? Well, it says here that the knowledge of the glory of God is revealed in the face of of Jesus Christ, in the face of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to the knowledge of God, the tip of the spear is Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus. The reason why this church is called Incarnation is because we're remembering, we're celebrating, we're worshiping the fact that God came in the flesh, incarnate. This is this Latin word that means like flesh or meat. You know, Jesus came in the meat, man. Amen. And he dwelled among us. That's what it says in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Was Jesus somehow less than God? No. He was the word made flesh. The scripture said he was all the fullness of God in human, in, in human form. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, you know, in the past, 
God spoke to us in many times and in various ways through the prophets. So that's talking about the Old Testament, and that's saying that's God's word. God has spoken. God has revealed to us in those things. It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God is sort of turning up, the, he's, he's notching it up a bit here, right? He says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. So if we want to know what God's like, if we're like, oh man, I'm just kind of confused. I, I can't really conceive of what God would be like. It's too philosophical. I'm not really that philosophical. Or I'm being too philosophical and I'm looking at God as just this distant kind of force. He's saying, no, there's actually something that we can focus on. Because God wanted to reveal himself. He wanted to reveal his glory. How did he reveal his glory? To human beings. Through the face of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In the meat. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at a church planting event in Nashville. And I had to leave directly from a church to get to the airport. So I booked a ride through Uber. And so when the Uber driver showed up, I was still wearing like my clergy clothes. And uh, you never know how somebody's going to react, uh, you know, an Uber driver or somebody you're sitting next to on a plane when you're dressed like a priest. It's very likely they're thinking something like, oh, God, why me? <laughs> or they might be thinking, dang, I've been praying for a sign, but I know I can't be this guy. <laughs> you know, or, or they, or they you, you never know, they, they might be thinking, you know, this week I, I've been thinking about committing suicide. Or, or I've, I recently had an abortion, or I just cheated on my wife, or you just, you never know what's been going on in their life. I've gotten in some pretty amazing conversations with total strangers just because I was wearing clergy clothes. Uh, but this guy who picked me up in Nashville that day, he had his dukes up already. And by the time I kind of put my bag, I loaded it up, we pull away, he starts to follow the GPS, and he turns and looks at me, he's like, I don't think we can really know anything about God. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're going into this. Take the gloves off, baby. And uh, he, said, he said, I think everybody equally knows, like, you know, people uh, are equally right and equally wrong when it comes to God. And so I challenged him. I said, why should we expect spiritual facts to work differently than any other kinds of facts? Why should we expect these kinds of truths to work differently than any other kinds of truth? So why should we expect that when we're talking about spiritual things, there's no right and wrong answers. There's no such thing as a contradiction. So we're driving along, he's following the GPS, and we're about to get off on an exit. I said, so in order to get to this air airport, for example, you need to get off at this exit. But what if instead of choosing to do that, you chose to go 50 miles in the opposite direction? I said, will we get to the airport? He said, no. I said, no, I'd, I'd miss my flight if you did that, right? I said, what if, that's, what if that's how it works in the spiritual world too? Like, right? Either God exists or he doesn't exist, right? He can't both exist and not exist. He's like, sure, yeah. And he, he said, I believe, in, I believe that God exists. I just don't believe we can know anything about him. I said, okay. Well, then he's either... Um, a personal being who, who has something like a mind and has a will and desires, or he's like a force, right? Uh, like this impersonal force, right? He can't be one or, or he, he can't be both. It's one or the other. Yeah. I said, well, well, what about Jesus? I said, you know, he he's either the Messiah who fulfilled scriptures that were written hundreds and hundreds of years before him, or he wasn't. He either rose bodily or he didn't. He said, okay, I, I can see where you're going with this. And so um, he said, but he, but he said, I, I don't actually believe that we can know anything about Jesus. 
He said, because I don't, I don't, I don't believe that the Bible is, is reliable in that sort of way, you know, that we have really any access to truth. Now, I think something else was going on, so I'll come back to that conversation in a minute. But I want to point back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because this is exactly the point that Paul is making about Jesus in this mm -hmm. passage. He mm -hmm. said that when it comes to true knowledge about God, it's like there's a veil over our eyes. He says there's something obscuring our vision. He says in verse 3 of chapter 4 that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Mm -hmm. There's something obscuring their vision. They can't see it. He even says in the next verse that the God of this world, which is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, Paul agreed with my Uber driver. Right? There really is a veil over the world. There really is this sense in which it's kind mm. of like, I don't know, how are we going to have any kind of access to God? How are we going to see? How are we going to come to any sort of knowledge of truth? Right? But the thing that my Uber driver wasn't anticipating is that, yeah, maybe we don't have access to God because of this veil, but maybe God has access to us. Right? Maybe God has access to us. And maybe we can't take the veil off, but maybe God can do it. Amen? Amen. Verse 14 of the previous chapter says that only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Christ is this veil lifted? So God looked down on humanity in this poor estate, this veiled uh, sense. He, he said even those who are reading the Old Testament scriptures, they had a veil over their eyes. They couldn't really see what God is like. And so God sent his son into the world, his very own son, his perfect image to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, to be the tip of the spear to the world about the knowledge of God, about who God really is, about what God's really like. Amen? Amen. So this guy said, I don't really believe this stuff. I don't really think that we can know anything. And I think the Bible was just written by people, and it was corrupted, and we don't have the original thing. And as I'm listening to him talk about it, I'm thinking two thoughts. I'm thinking, one, we don't have time right now to debate about the Bible, so I don't have enough time for that. But um, I also thought, that's not actually really what's going on here. I just sensed there was something different going on under the, under the surface for him. And so I said, okay, you say that you believe in God. And you admit that even if we don't know the truth about God, God still might be able to reveal his truth to us, right? Because that was something he had admitted in conversation. So I asked him, well, would you be willing to pray? What would stop you from praying? God, if you exist, please reveal the truth about who you are. And if you do, I'll follow you with my life. I said, would you be willing to pray that to God? Um, God, if you exist, please reveal yourself to me. And if you do, I'll follow you with my life. And, and he didn't want any part of that. I posed that question to him like three or four times, and you would have thought it was dodgeball. <laughs> You know, I mean, he was wanting to bring up some other doubt or some other thing about Scripture or some other thing about how we can't know anything about Jesus or some other sort of spiritual dodging was going on. And the weird thing is, is like the question I was asking him doesn't really seem it doesn't really seem like a very challenging question. I said, hey, listen, man, set aside the Bible for a second. Forget forget the Bible for a second. Just spiritually speaking, if God exists, then, then he then he exists. He knows 
that we're here. He knows we're having this conversation. He's here. And I said, but so would you be willing to say to God in your heart right now, God, if you're there, I pray that you would reveal the truth about who you are in my life. And if you do, I'll follow you. And, and he was very resistant. And he could tell that he was resistant. And so I told him, you know, sometimes we say we can't know the truth because we prefer not to know the truth. Because then we can live however we want to live. And he started laughing. And he said, yeah. <laughs> he just sort of admitted and started nodding his head. And, uh, and so I said, but here's the thing. The reason why you're trying to dodge that question and the reason why you're trying to dodge God is because you think if God gets you, he's got some sort of bad uh, purpose for your life. You think that what his plans are for you are worse than the plans that you would have for yourself. And you think these things that you want to do that God doesn't want you to do is somehow better than the destiny that he has for your life. I said, so at, the, at, the, at a rock bottom level, you don't trust that God is good. You don't trust that God is good. And how could we trust that God is good? How do we know that God is good? I mean, if we're feeling convicted of our sins and there's things that we want to do that we know, like toward other people that we know are sort of shabby, right? And we're like, man, if God is holy, I've definitely put myself against him. I'm definitely not following him. I'm definitely going astray. As, as it says in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And so it's like, I don't want to go back to a holy God and have to deal with all this business that I've been doing in my life. And even right now, I feel like going astray. That was what was going on in this guy's heart. That's what was going on in this guy's mind. So how is it that the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ can just open things up for us? As Paul says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness. So when God said, all right, I'm going to show you who I really am. I'm going to show you what my heart's really like. Wouldn't it be amazing if God was like Jesus? <laughs> I mean, think of the way that Jesus acted toward people. Think of the people that he had mercy on. He was so merciful towards sinners. He was so merciful toward prostitutes. He was so merciful towards tax collectors. Yes, he was hard on religious people. But he was a man of grace and mercy. I think most people are like, well, God is this like really cranky, holy being, but it's a nice thing that he has this good, kind, loving son. <laughs> and we miss the whole purpose of the incarnation. That Jesus reveals what God is really like. It's like God took a mask off, but the mask wasn't on him. The mask was on our face and it was a veil. What's God really like? What does it look like when God reveals himself to the world? It looks like God being willing to die on a cross for you because he loves you that much. That's what it looks like. And so not only is God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, but the pinnacle of that revelation is that he was willing to suffer and serve and be mishandled and be mistreated by his own creatures. Why? Because he couldn't do anything about it? Because he didn't have power to do anything about it? No. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down on his own accord. Amen? Because he loves you. And if this guy in the car knew that that's what God was like, or even thought maybe possibly, because the Holy Spirit is leading him, maybe possibly that might be what God is like. 
man, he would open that door to his heart right away. He'd stop dodging. He'd say, let the ball hit me right in the face. Because that's what I need. That's the kind of thing that I need in my life. Amen? Amen. The best news about the gospel is not just that we have a Bible that can guide us. That's, that's awesome. We have God. He's revealed himself in the Bible. That's a beautiful thing. The best news about the gospel is not even just that there's this um, exchange that happens and God put himself in our place and, and, and so we can come to him. We can have our sins forgiven. That's a beautiful, glorious, amazing thing. But the best news about the gospel, the very best news about the gospel is what it says about who God is. Right? The God behind the gospel, not just that, that God chose to do this, you know, at, at some point in time and space, he just chose to humble himself. But that's not what he's really like. No, it's that God is humble, that God is loving, and he came to earth to ransom you as his bride. He wants you for his own. He wants to be reconciled to you. That's what God is like, guys. Wouldn't it be healing to think that maybe God's like Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh, all the fullness of God in human form. Are those verses I'm quoting right there? I think so. So, just three, three brief responses. One is just to, to, visit, to visit this question for yourself today. Visit your, this question this week. What do I think God is like? When I'm lying in bed and I'm all alone, when I'm driving in the car and I'm just operating on spiritual autopilot, what do I think God is like? And I want to encourage you to, to maybe check out this book, Your God is Too Small. And uh, it's a challenging book, but it's really good and it's good news. And it's sort of like this like refreshing kind of surgery that's being done on you. Because you're like... Yeah, I really do think of God just as my conscience. Or I really am thinking about God as just like my dad to the nth degree or, or whatever. And just to start to say, okay, how do, how, do I, how do I separate the fact that Jesus says that we call God his father, but he's not saying that God is my dad, like my earthly dad. He's saying something perfect here. How do we begin to, to, to kind of unpack those things and get healing? Second thing, if you've never read the Gospels, or if you've never read the four Gospels and said, what I'm learning from Jesus right now is what God is like. Wouldn't that be an interesting way to read the Gospels? So go back, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You could read through those, you know, in the next few weeks, even, without, even with only just reading 20 minutes a day. They're not that long. But if you went back and, and you weren't just saying, you know, I'm trying to find uh, uh, just, you know, uh, some devotional thought for today, or I'm trying to find some sort of scholarly knowledge, but you just ask the question, I'm, I'm zeroing the eyes of my heart on Jesus, and I want to know what God is like. Because the gospel says that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, so I want to see the way he reacts to people. And he's not just always Jesus, meek and mild, is he? Right? Jesus is not a tame lion, Right? And so I, I just, just kind of look at who he is, what he does, how he interacts with people. Look at his cross, which is the climax of all the Gospels. Look at his resurrection and ask the question, what is God like? And thirdly, I want to invite you 
If you're asking that question, or asking that question afresh, you may have been following Jesus for a long time, but you're asking that question afresh, what is God like? I want to invite you to come to Alpha this summer, where we're going to be asking that question. What is God like? What is Jesus like? What can we learn about God through Jesus? What can we learn about the love of God through his cross? Why would I choose to follow Jesus as opposed to some other religious figure? These are the kinds of things that we're going to be talking about. And we want to invite you to that meeting. Every Wednesday, starting with dinner, and then a talk, and then some table discussion. That's Wednesdays at 6.30. Let me read this verse and close us in prayer. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.